Hi, everybody. It's Richard on the Green Peak. And joining us today, we've got Eloisa Lewis, who is a climate scientist and founder of the New Climate Culture um, Foundation. Welcome aboard, Eloisa. Thanks for having me all. I, you know, I've read some of your, uh, the articles you've written and contributed to, and I've been really interested in the, uh, the perspective you've brought, um, because there is an interesting dichotomy in, and clash in society between people who are looking at climate change, how can we do better, and the push around consumerism, and is consumerism the evil? Or is it something else? And you had, you made a, a really interesting article uh, statement at one point. It's not really consumerism. It's because that's fundamental to who we are. We want to be individuals, but it's more how we get there. And can, right. can, can you explain like how you came to that perspective? Absolutely. Um, I feel like really just being a philosopher and anthropologist, like looking around at this world we're all sharing there's some pretty simple practical constraints we've got in this planet we're sharing the air we're sharing the water we're sharing the soil um you know we're sharing economic strife we're trading goods across borders like i think people love to connect and i think we're sharing much more than we even know that we are whether we like it or not um and just becoming more aware of that made me realize that you know, I don't know, someone who really wants to like have control over other people, tell them what to do or anything. I really believe in so- sovereignty. Um, of, of individuality, which drives society forward, right? Right. And, and just life, because you, you never know where, where you'll be born into or how you'll be, what, you know, what you'll be born into. Right. And you'll have to have some sense of individuality in order to have some sense of morality, I think. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's that's very true. And you also have to have a sense of community to understand your obligations and duties to others. And if you're just thinking of yourself, you end up doing damage. Oh, I think so. I think that, you know, if you just think of yourself in your pod, your cult, your church, your religion, whatever it is, like if you're gonna decide that you're a chosen people of some kind and special than everyone else. That's probably the most dangerous thing you can do for the planet <laughs> because Absolutely. I think that's the beginning of war and that's the beginning of dictatorship and orthodoxy and um, uh, just kind of martial law, really. So I think that what I'm bringing is like a perspective coming from really studying philosophy. I think that's really what allowed me to kind of fast forward through so much human thought right and get to get to the heart of like you know maybe the point isn't always love and maybe the point isn't always truth maybe the point is peace and maybe peace is something that connects everything else together um like all the the unholy bits and the holy bits is kind of contained in the in the study and the meditation of peace and i think that like it's not something that can that's that's the beauty of it too it's like i'm not trying to pass on like a framework um that invites people to follow my path but really a framework that asks everyone to just tap in deeper to their own and i think that's how we can 
that's if there's any chance for us to modify our consumerism and our production habits, since it's both, you know, producers are consumers and consumers are producers in some ways of culture, at least, or influence. Um, so, like, in that sense, if we're going to have any hope, I think people really do need to feel better about doing good for other people and remember that and doing good for future generations and just doing good, just kind of with this kind of capital G, like just good because it is good and recognizing it as a common sense thing. Like it's good to have less trash in landfills. It's good to have less poison in our soil. Cause when you buy a uh, cannabis in Amsterdam, or if you buy, um, candies from japan you're going to be eat or cookies from england that you're going to be eating that atmospheric reality well that's exactly it and you know in the absence of conflict we're all able to focus on on improvements and those improvements are ourselves and the products we produce and you know we've had a habit of creating products which are phenomenal but then you know the packaging and things that are basically just waste are incredibly destructive and you know, one of the things that people comment on the the cannabis industry, and that is, it can be a very wasteful industry. The water consumption rates can be very high, but they don't need to be. And the use of pesticides in some areas, you know, it's atrocious, and yet it doesn't need to be. And you know, I've built a operation using biodynamic uh, methodologies, and wow. it's so much more efficient. And you know, using rain capture systems because we had enormous amounts of rain and lots of territory to capture from. But not everybody can do that in every area, but we can all take steps towards doing those things. And you've examined a lot of that. By the way. Oh, thanks. It's, uh, you know, it's just the way it actually is. It's a smarter way to run the business and it's a right. smarter way for the, you know, for the environment, but also for your profits at the end of the day for the, for the people who are looking to get ahead. Because Love that. Right. So, but you've been looking at that. And you've been looking at, you know, with the growth and the sales in cannabis and the demands that, and the f environmental footprint, what's going on and how do we change the perspective on sustainability to improve it? Because cannabis shouldn't be that large a consumer um, to create a product that people want. Oh, it, it's so like, it's so counterintuitive, you know, to think about being it, around cannabis and knowing what it is when you really understand the plant as a healer. Yep. as a healer plant, a provider plant, providing food and fiber. Um, like, wow, like having respect for this plant and then having for its body during the whole processing and growing and, um, you know, back to the back to the consumer's body and that relationship with their body and their first interaction with the packaging and stuff. Like, I think of that as just a way to respect what we're doing you know, when we're cultivators, but I know some people just really view this as a commodity. And so I think the people that care about cannabis are going to be the first ones to change the industry because the people who relate to this plant, understand this plant and what it's providing as kind of like a, you know, like people have their favorite sports teams and they would like die and riot for their favorite sports teams. Well, I kind of feel that way about, you know, the plants that I prefer <laughs> right. to work with. And so I think those of us who are kind of like the canna fans, like and and the hemp fans and stuff, are going to be the ones to champion this this change in this movement. And hopefully, we can just get in front of enough, um, like lobbyists and um, like ma magazines with culture shifters and movers and and stuff like to actually 
bring this message forward because cannabis is a great plant to be a vehicle for climate consciousness as well since right. it's like it's got it's internationally relevant right now it's not just trending in the u.s it's trending it's a hot topic you know everywhere maybe not like singapore and japan but i think that it's a cultural it's it's has cultural significance across the world and but brings a lot of us together around the topic from all political and religious backgrounds um and economic backgrounds and so yeah like talking about it as furthermore again as a material not it's not just smokable medicinal edible cannabis this is hemp this is stocks this is soil air you know carbon sequestration and of course industrial materials and and fiber clothing material and, and you know that's that's part of what a lot of people ignore is we look at the the flower as the product and the only thing out of the plant and of course you know hemp is different than a uh, the cannabis for in, uh, from the consumption perspective on that and how you produce and what you do with it and actually how you can use the end product but it's a plant that can be used to um clean territories because it does extract out the heavy metals and it can right. be used from that perspective to help remediate soils that have been abused in the past um it's also a very sensitive yeah. plant that gets affected by um the environment in different ways and unpredictable manners but you know something you mentioned earlier about you know the opportunity in the plant the opportunity for the market to really shift the way you're speaking to is driven still by the economics and the thing is there's a better way to go about managing this than we have been doing that increases the profits and increases the value of the product to the consumer yeah i think this is going to be inevitable i think it's going to be inevitable like with enough time assuming we have time which you know i'll do my best like assuming we have time this is inevitable because it's so common sense we just need people doing it and getting out into community to do it and talk and and feel empowered to talk and teach about it and you know do go to meet up with other farmers because if you're if you're a cannabis farmer you're totally i mean why not you are going to understand a lot about the land and you're going to have a lot to learn about your other local farming communities like um with with agriculture locally so i think that like it's something that like we have to just take upon ourselves really and um and i think with time it will be inevitable because yeah like i said it's just so common sense you, you break it down it's not that people i think this is, i find this a lot as a corporate climate consultant i don't think people are like diabolically evil all the time like maybe yeah. you know there's a few wackos like you know, sprinkle across the entire entire planet but like most of the time people are not like diabolical they're just not in a position of power and authority to make the decisions um or you know don't have access to the resources time or money or just have no idea what's going on and so it's like once you can sit down with someone and show them like a a nice picture of a a permaculture farm or carbon sequestration at a greenhouse effect or the water cycle or something like or we can go outside and you talk about and grab fruit if we're really lucky with our living circumstances or our neighborhood and like then it it just starts to make so much sense like all the distractions from this from this simple focus of focusing on the things that we share that can that can bring peace because 
I was thinking about this. I have this old flyer from a workshop I was offering last year, and it's it's such a great title in this flyer, and it's like something along the lines of um, what would it look like to have the most abundant agricultural civilization? And like, don't you want to know about that? Like, doesn't that sound interesting? Well, <laughs> and that does. Like- and let's let's actually come back to that. We do have to take a short break, but I do want to come back to that uh, particular topic after break. We'll be back with Eloisa Lewis. Uh, from New Climate Culture on the Green Peak. And we're back on the Green Peak with Eloisa Lewis uh, from New Climate Culture. And Eloisa, you know, something you touched upon just a moment ago, I mean, there's so many different topics there about sustainability and, you know, productivity and different aspects. But why do you think that, you know, today, let's say the strawberry farmers in California are incredibly focused on how to be, maximize their efficiencies and to operate, uh, you know, at the tightest possible margins where the cannabis producers are looked at so differently. And what is going to be required to change that perspective to not just make it more efficient, but make it better? Oh, definitely. Well, on the, on the non-grassroots, completely grassroots and and self-sovereign side of things, like definitely policy change is going to be helpful. And like, there should be more um subsidies and incentives for farmers who are doing regenerative practices and it wouldn't be hard to come up with a qualifying sheet i mean i i have a friend who works for the usda and the hemp farm i work with is usda certified and like their their certification is lacking like it's okay but it has some problems in it and that should be addressed but like if you like prove, oh like no no um like having no crop rotation or having mandatory crop rotation in the right. in the farm plan and and other things like I I would have to sit down with Sean to to make a list if we if we were really going to get into it but um what but I basically they're that, not a, they're not applying standard agri- agricultural prod- practices around sustainability right across the they're industry applying- to industrial agriculture that's being driven by the people who basically the the industries that depend okay so industrial farming in the last 100 years in the u.s changed from like small-scale organic farming operations and like home-scale operations when with the invention of like the train and the automobile like being able to transport goods and create different economies including just like economies around machinery so like all these farm machines were invented and created in the last 100 years and you know my grandpa used to live on an orchard so i know exactly what it looked like in in Uh 1918 like when he was born um and through to when he passed just a few years ago and like so basically like we we had animal powered agriculture more and and ecosystem powered agriculture and fertilized the machine, field as it went, which we did. <laughs> right, right, which provided a lot in different times. Yeah. You know, in 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 different times, an animal could provide so much for for a community or a family. Like, depending yeah. on the natural feasts and famines and droughts and floods of 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 the consequences of being on a planet with some chaos. And 
so this was really a security in its own way um but regardless so we turn we turn to this machine agriculture and so i feel like that's a similar thing with the cannibals industry too where like the people who are defining the standards and lobbying really hard for um mandates are people coming from the industries that already that are dominating the they're coming from the partners who are dominating the industry like um you know mandating that there's tilling or mandating that there's um like a single crop in a row like things like that are just coming from that's how some other guy farmed i don't know i don't i don't i I don't believe in the illuminati but what i do believe is that it's being done wrong and regardless of who who made it this way so but but that isn't that isn't forced in all jurisdictions and crops by it's not it's not but it's but it's what's being taught in university too though right now so it's not maybe not a force but it's so prevalent that people hardly know that there's anything outside of that if you go way for people right 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 but you know like the the first nations the indigenous the maya the inca you know they used um companion planting they used all sorts of models that had much higher yields of course were more intensive in terms of having people in the field where you don't have a machine that can harvest you know a thousand acres a day you've got to have thousands of people to do that um yeah but i think but it is sustainable it is great yeah people being close to food is great i think everyone in the community in any community should be very close to the food that they're consuming not necessarily all of it but maybe a bit of it and um and not have that be thought of as weird um because again i'm thinking about like okay because that's that's how a wild animal sees its environment too that's how a a forager a wild crafter sees their environment is like an an environment of opportunities they see plants as opportunities for food and for crafts and like that's something we've lost and and some cultures just ha- didn't maintain or didn't really have as they as they domesticated and industrialized right um but yeah like so i wonder you know about what's going on with the cannabis industry is just like the consultants and the people who are who are investing are being told like okay indoor is the best way to grow cannabis it's the most stable no matter what like i i think greenhouse makes sense in a lot of parts of the world um, but indoor growing is doesn't make a lot of sense to me as a climate scientist and as an environmentalist and as someone who just loves maximizing uh, the benefits of what I guess is optimization. Like that's such a trend in like human like consciousness right now is biohacking and optimization and stuff. But like yep. we're totally full, fooled. We're totally backwards about it. We're like yes, let's optimize, but like let's do it in the most inefficient, environmentally destructive, self you know suicidal manner possible and it will look like it's really great because we'll be able to like have mushroom supplements on mars but like earth won't be inhabitable (laughs) right it's just like crazy like backwards uh narrative well it's it is challenging right and it's the problem the problem is also we can't look at any one industry in isolation and one of the points i made on a conversation a while ago is you know, the strawberry farmer is producing a product that is perfectly consumable and they're using uh, certain pesticides that wash off and therefore they're not a problem. 
but those same pesticides float through the air and stick to the cannabis plant in an open grow or even in a you know oh, my greenhouse, word. and it doesn't wash off, and that's yeah. the problem. And so we can't look at it as you know in this isolation. We have to, and that's where you get into some of the controlled you know the contained grows where you have to control the environment to keep everything else out, but. It's also because, you know, there's two different aspects to the market. There's the adult use, which is, you know, the one and the, uh, the spray that gets used on the strawberry gets burned off in most cases with your smoking. But if you're extracting and concentrating, then you're concentrating those carcinogens and that's the problem. But you've got many different ways to apply it, but we can't, you know, we can't boil the ocean to solve the problem overnight. We can actually look at cutting one edge after the other. And one big aspect is water use. And that's something I know you've spoken about, about water conscious techniques that can help the growers, help sustainability, and everybody can understand the impact because it's an impact on the community in terms of having access to water. It's an impact on the grower in terms of being more efficient and productive, and thus it's an, it economically makes more sense. And it also results in, if you're doing it properly, a cleaner product with less damage downstream on, you know, the fish habitats and everything else. How, what are some major changes or good practices people can put in place around water usage that are being overlooked? So, you know, one of the challenges in the marketplace, Louisa, is we used to use, you know, we talk about the uh, companion planting and the methods of irrigation, and we've got you know, the farming technologies that are used and products that are used that are perfectly safe, let's say on a strawberry, that are toxic when they're um, concentrated off of the cannabis plant and the different models through there. And we can try and boil the ocean to resolve all the problems, but that's never going to happen. But there are some really practical applications that are going to make a huge difference, one of which is around water usage, which is a big concern everywhere in the world in access to water. And it's not just the usage of the water and the runoff, which will affect everything downstream. But from the cannabis operator's perspective, they're able to grow more efficiently, which means an econo more economically viable product while not polluting and creating problems downstream. What are some practical applications you've seen and that you would recommend to people around water usage that are easy to implement but impactful? I think that the easiest thing to do it, I mean, just the and the and the main thing is pretty simple. So collecting and harvesting your own rainwater, you can do that off of your structures and uh, pretty simple calculations for that um, to determine to get how, to see how much you're going to be able to collect and then how big of storage containers you need. Um, and then you'll reduce reliance on municipal water or local water from that's groundwater um or whatever and and then you'll also it'll be free and it'll be cut your costs and then um from there ground uh sorry gray water implementation so taking any water that is convertible into back putting it back into the earth from your sinks on site or hoses or irrigation bathrooms anything like that kitchens um is a really good idea for the water cycle um and then if you're making rosin, then I think that, you know, you doing solventless ice water extraction and um, just making sure that your waste, that your wastewater doesn't involve, like that's a great, you know, measure of how sustainable you are. 
it right. and how close to sustainability you are and far from complexity because yeah hazardous materials are there's not they're not impossible to like manage but like if you can stay away from them and you're as much as possible it's it's probably the best thing to have less of them in the world and so just if you're doing extractions then trying to just use water instead of any solvent um that's probably not good for the body or the the soil um and those are the main water things that i would say other than that like it would start to get into waste and soil being the next uh, biggest questions i guess um and so yeah so energy waste and soil and water are where we can make these great changes and i i think that it feels so good to do it and it looks so good it looks like a, a new planet and a new world is being born when you see these new structures in in sight and on place no it certainly isn't um it's amazing what we can do and we should we are able to do that'll improve the productivity the quality of the product the margins for the people who are going to be watching that and really improves the industry and the every aspect of the marketplace around it be it the you know the lifestyle the um our social responsibility um and every aspect um we do need to take one more break eloisa but we're going to be back again in just a minute with eloisa lewis from new climate culture And we're back on the Green Peak with Eloisa Lewis from New Climate Culture. And Eloisa, you know, just before the break, we we're talking about water usage. And one of the points you brought up is, you know, the water rec- the water capture at the first part about rainwater. But in dry states like Colorado, of course, or Arizona, you you don't have the same access to the rainfall, but you can use water recapture. And one of the ways you're able to improve the rates but improve you know keep the costs reasonable and improve the quality is actually through more thoughtful usage of insecticides and fungicides and actually going to more biodynamic where you're breeding pests that are able to consume and reduce the amount of pesticide needed in the first place how do you take a look at that and that cycle well, so me personally, I've come to biodynamic farming through the lens of Jadam and KNF, which is mm-hmm. just like a, a Korean master farmer's take on it and his family. And so, but I know there's lots of ways to accomplish this. Um, but yeah, like you're basically creating spongier, healthier substrate and soil. And so whether that's indoors or in a greenhouse or in a outdoor environment like you're gonna retain more water and nutrients and yeah be more adaptive resilient to pesticides to pests and molds and um diseases so you're like that's that's what really health is the measure of um when we're looking at the full ecosystem and biology of of the canna plant and um and it's cool how we can maximize water efficiency while we're at it while we're doing that soil building and um efficiency and optimizing the soil so yeah definitely like um we're out here in arizona but i think that the what's fascinating is like there's a water harvester named brad lancaster out here who um i'm friends with and my 
my I, we affiliate we we help out all the time and broad has shown how you're able to collect and others then who also work around here in permaculture in arizona we definitely we only have a couple rainy seasons in the year but right. it's enough to to get to get us through the whole year if we're being smart about our water usage and not using not running the tap and not taking 20 minute long showers and stuff like that so like just i was got i was down to like 40 gallons a week for my showers so i think that it's just a, again it's like when we're more anywhere in the world that you are i think of it as just being really aware of place is to be aware of these things like what's what 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 are the pesticides what are the problems what are the pollutants um pollutants and like just becoming familiar with with that reality um yeah it's 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 cool how it's helping us make better products and save money at the same time and i really think it's propaganda when people say like oh being sustainable is so expensive and too expensive like in some cases and sometimes yes things are have an expense and like life has competing options but at the end of the day sustainable farming is completely free and can be done completely through free theoretically so like that's just it just isn't the case and it's just not it there's always a creative option like that's something they taught us as permaculture instructors was always to find a solution when we could that was free and that doesn't cost money so that we can we can pull this off so that we can really um not do it frivolously and ex and extravagantly but do it for for anyone who who can who want is interested in getting it done yeah and you know that that's a good point because a mindful thoughtful approach to the use of the of insecticides fungicides and other products um really can result in a improved rate of water recapture that you reuse re recycle clean water much more simply and makes it efficient uh, at every level and also you know there's things that you can do like people talk about thyme oil which is a phenomenal pesticide um, fungicide but the thyme plant actually growing in certain areas and certain facilities and in the soils has a has an effect on a very large uh, surface area and capture and help as well so sometimes we have to look out of the box in terms of those solutions but the benefits are massive and some of them actually increase yields as well yes yeah and how smart is that that like you have a time plant sorry about my dog you have a time plant on site so that like if there's ever another covid or another you know world war five or or, or or fast and furious seven like you have time on site so that if amazon stops shipping or whatever you know your plants aren't going to suffer or you're you're not going to suffer and that's a, that's another great point that that struck me as you said that yeah, and it's, you know, some of the least obvious things like uh, strange enough marigolds, um, incredibly powerful against a lot of the challenges we face and overlooked completely. Amazing. Um, Eloisa, we are out of time for today, but people who want to learn more about what you're doing, uh, some options for best practices and, you know, can contact you about solutions and way to improve. How can they contact you? Absolutely. So my email is Eloisa, E-L-O-I-S-A, Eloisa at newclimateculture.com. 
And um, there's the website, newclimateculture.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, my full name is Eloisa Elena Lewis. And um, yeah, look me up and I'm available for, for any time. I'm here to help. Fantastic. Well, thank you. And that's been a really informative and uh, interesting conversation. And thanks for joining us this week on The Green Peak. Thanks to you. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back again with you soon. I'm Richard Zwicky.